Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. It is so good to be with you this morning, as it always is in our Lord's Day services together. I appreciate Jake letting me have a break last week and being able to gather my thoughts to enter into a new series. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, which you are very familiar of. And many of you say, we, we just finished the Gospel of John. Go to John and then take a right. You will find the book of Acts, and that's where we will be today in chapter 2. Before we get there, I want to just share my heart a little bit, which can be risky. Because I have yet to be able to carry on a conversation about Key Life Fellowship, this body of believers, and what the Lord has done here without coming to tears and having some emotional breakdown of some sort. I don't do this for show. It is actually quite embarrassing. But I do this to tell you that I have seen the Lord do as He has promised to do in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Some of you, You've been here in this church through a lot of that process. And you know, uh, this is a movement of God. This is something that God has done from the beginning. You, You don't have to spend much time with me to realize that nothing here can be about Kirk Hall because he's dumb as a box of rocks in and of himself. But to see what the Lord has done in His church with His people, causes me to stand in complete awe of who He is and for the Savior that He sent to this earth to rescue each of us, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the next little while, we'll be looking at the church, His church, in a series that I have entitled, The Dearest Place on Earth. I stole that statement from from a preacher who has been a tremendous influence in my life for many, many years. He's been gone from this world quite some time. I never met him personally, but Charles Spurgeon, in a message that he preached in 1891 on April the 5th, entitled The Best Donation, where he told his congregation, the best thing that you can give to Christ is you. It's you. Everything about you, you're everything. He said this about the church. He said, I, I, I have had, if I had, excuse me, never joined a church until I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. Meaning there are no perfect churches because we're involved. And he goes on, he says, in the moment I did join it, if I had found one, which he knew was impossible, I should have spoiled it. He said, I would have messed it up. Oh, I bear witness to that, looking at the church of Christ. 
knowing my imperfections, but yet knowing that He still lets me be a part of such a marvelous family that He has raised up through His precious blood, through His atoning sacrifice. He said, for if it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it, still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. It is. To the true believer, the church, the local fellowship of believers is the dearest place on earth. When we come here, we get just a snippet of what heaven's going to be like. We get to share in the glory of the Lord together. We get to share in the struggles of life. We get to share in the victories of life. He said, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Speaking of the believer, the believer understands that. The believer sees the importance of the church. He goes on to say, as I have already said, the church is faulty. Yes, because as soon as Kirk Hall arrived, it was faulty. If it was perfect up until that point, Spurgeon said the same thing. I've already told you that it's faulty, but that is no excuse for you not joining it. Oh, how many times have we heard that? Not going down there with those hypocrites. Come on, we can use another one. He said, I've already told you it's faulty. That's no excuse for not joining it. If you are, are the Lord's, he means you belong there. Nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for per perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. We need each other, church. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep. The home for Christ's family. To that I say to you, welcome home. To the dearest place on this planet. The church of Jesus Christ. The church of of the firstborn from among the dead. Those who belong to Jesus, their Savior. And as I said, in the next months to come, we're going to take an in-depth look at the church. We are going to take an in-depth look as to who we are and, and what the Scriptures say that we should be. We'll be looking and expositing various passages of Scripture. I know that you are somewhat used to just taking a book and, and starting at verse 1 and going through, but we're going to take a subject and we're going to exposit the passages surrounding that subject. The church, Christ's church, the dearest place on earth. Sad fact in our culture is this. That the church has become less and less influential, impactful, and attendant. I noticed today on my drive-in, there was no fighting for the next lane. There was no trying to run anyone off the road to get to church, though many try to run people off the road to get to work, right? If you've, you've driven in traffic around here in the Houston area, you know this. They're in a race to somewhere. I'm not sure where they're racing to, but they want me off of the track, right? I can't wait until I'm old enough to get me one of those little fedora hats like the old man do, and they just get in the fast lane and drive 50 just to aggravate everyone behind them. Y'all know the guy I'm talking about. You blew past him this morning on the way to church, and you honked at him. 
Let me help you. He didn't care. He's old enough to not care. We live in a time that is sad in this country. I want to give you some statistics, and I'm not a guy who gives statistics with every sermon, and the reason being is because I have to call them stats, because statistics is a hard word for me to say. So I'm give you the stats, though. Here, here's the stats. In, in 2019, 2019, 34% of Americans attended a religious service at least once or twice a month. Only 34%. This is done by Lifeway Research, who researches the church and finds out where we are. 2019, 34% of the population of America attended a church. Now in 2020, that fell from 34% to 31%. We know when COVID hit, it gave many people an excuse. The enemy used it as deception to lie to them, to tell them that they were all going to die. But they didn't. They're still here. Many of them who were fearful, afraid, gripped by fear. Oh, don't you know when the Scriptures say to fear not, that's exactly what God means, fear not. They didn't come to church, and many of them have not come back to church. 2020, it dropped from 34% to 31%. Now watch this. You would think, after we realize, okay, this is just part of life. There's been pandemics and epidemics and things all throughout history. We've got to keep on keeping on. You would think that they would come back to church, but watch this. 2021. When the survey was taken, only 28% of America's population attend church once or twice per month. Now, I don't say that to beat people up who don't go to church. I'm talking to the church this morning. I say that to encourage you to say, don't give up coming to church. Don't, don't give up the body of believers for, for recreation or entertainment or fear or work or anything else. Don't give up meeting with the dearest place on earth and the dearest people on earth, God's people. As many have in our day and in our time and in our culture. Many have not only stopped attending those who are so-called churches. As you know, Satan doesn't want to or desire to erase the church. He just wants to give you so many counterfeits that you don't know what the real church is. So you'll just spend your life in confusion. That's why today we will, in just a moment, turn to the Word of God to see what a true church is. And we're going to begin to look at the attributes of a true church. We're only going to get halfway through the, this message and looking at the attributes of the church in our series, The Dearest Place on Earth, Christ Church. And as we look at that, we're going to see there are some characteristics that a church will have and must have. And so what we're talking about, we're talking about the topic of ecclesiology. I know a big theological word that nobody cares about but a theological nerd like myself. That is the study of the church. That is digging through the history of the church and seeing how God has preserved her. God raised her up. God has preserved her for nearly 2,000 years on this earth. And all of the promises that he has made to her have come to pass or are coming to pass as we speak or will come to pass in the future. It is exciting to be a part of his church, the ecclesia, where we get that theological word Ecclesiology. And so we will be for the next month studying the church. And it ought to be exciting. Some of the things that we're going to cover, you already know them. But how many of you know important truths? You don't just need to know them once. You need to be reminded of them constantly. Constantly. Because we are human and we forget and we lose sight and we are distracted. You ever been distracted by life and you forgot the important basic things of God and of life in general? 
So we must be aware of our nature and we must look at that. So we'll be looking at the church and we'll start this journey today. We'll go all the way back to the infancy of the church. All the way back to the beginnings, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 today. We're going to look through 42 through 47 for the next couple of weeks. Today we will cover verse 42 in a small portion of verse 43. But I want us to look today at the basic attributes of the church. You're going to see something interesting as this unfolds. You will see that you are a part of a church. Though we are not perfect in our leadership, we strive to look like this in everything that we do. In fact, people ask me all the time, what, 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 what growth model are you using? What methods are you applying? I feel like the biggest dummy on the planet. And I have to tell them from before the beginning of Key Life Fellowship, when this was just birthed in my heart, where there was no such thing as this local group of believers, God took me to this passage. And he took me to several passages involving the early church and showing me what the church really should be in in comparison to what it had become. And church, I want us to see that. I want us to walk through that together. The attributes of Christ's church, the dearest place on earth. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They were one heart. We're going to see that later on in the study. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord. You underline that. We're not going to get there this week. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As we pull back all of the nonsense that is called church in our time, and we return to the Scriptures, I want us to clearly see the marks of a church. What does a church really look like? What does the early church really look like? Of course, we know that this was occurring, what we see in Acts chapter 2, shortly after the ascension of the Lord into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, just after his resurrection from the dead, just after his crucifixion, where he died as an atoning sacrifice for all who would believe. And now it says this, as we begin to look at these attributes or characteristics, It says in the first part of verse 42, they devoted themselves. They, this is talking about the believers. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The church will be marked first by a group of devoted believers. Pay attention to what it says there. They, I've already made this as clear as I can on several occasions. I am not very smart, but I know they is plural. This was a group of people. 
And this group of people had one theme, and that theme was redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ who had redeemed them. They were devoted people. They devoted themselves. This is the church, a group or assembly of people who are devoted to the Lord. Now, before we go any further, that word devoted is huge. These people were not occasional attendances to a church. These people were not Christmas and Easter only attendees at the church. These people were not only when we needed something from God, attendees to the church. These were a group of people who were devoted to the Lord through His church. They were there, plural, together. Who are these people? They are the called out ones. Did you know that's what ecclesia means? The word church in the Greek, it means the called out ones. These are the assembly of those who had been effectually called to salvation in Christ Jesus, had been saved, and they are being actively sanctified in a body, a group, or assembly of believers. So simply put, they are the called out assembly. What a joy it is today to join with many who are a part of the called out assembly. You have been called out of the darkness of your sin into the light of Jesus Christ, receiving forgiveness and mercy instead of the judgment that we all deserve. You have been called out into a right relationship with God through the sacrifice of His only begotten Son on the cross. And you are here today because of that. And what a joy it is as your pastor to get to meet with each of you today. To get to open the Word of God, the bread of life, and get to pour it out to you folks, the church, church of Christ, who was purchased by His blood, called out by His Holy Spirit, moved out of darkness and sin and unbelief into life and life everlasting. These are the called out ones according to the Word of God here at the ecclesia, the assembly of the called out ones. They're the Christian. In fact, in Acts, the same book that we're looking at in chapter 11, verse 26, this is where we see the term Christian for the first time. It says that they were first called Christians at Antioch. And you know why people called them Christians? Because in their lives, they began to resemble Christ. What a compliment. A called out group of people who are in their lives resembling Christ. Did you know that's scriptural? Those whom he foreknew, he did also predestine to conform to the image of his son. They took note of that. These people looked like Christ. And the outside world dubbed them Christian, like Jesus. They were reflecting Christ in their lives. And everyone noticed that. Can I help each of you here today under the sound of my voice? When you live your life like Christ, others will know who you belong to. They will see you not as you. They will see the goodness in you. And the only goodness in me and you is Christ. Apart from Him, as we learned in John's Gospel, we can do nothing. So I make this point quickly in verse 42 in the first part. This is an assembly 
of people. And these people have one theme in common, and that theme is Christ. People ask all the time, what's your theme? What's your purpose as a church? Why do you do what you do? It's simple, isn't it? Christ. Why did we meet together today? Some of you say, because my wife drugged me here. Please pay attention to this message. It's so much more than that. No, I woke up this morning excited before my alarm went off. What was I excited about? I was excited about Christ. I was excited about preaching his word, teaching his word to you, Christians, so that you could hear that. And those words would go into your heart, and they would produce in you life, life to the full, as Jesus has promised. Many people don't understand what is being said here. This was a group exclusively for believers. Isn't it sad that we live in a time where churches are trying to make everything hip, cool, and relevant so that the outside world will be comfortable? The person who doesn't know Christ in this room today should be uncomfortable. Because they're going to hear us talk about things that are so foreign to them, forgiveness, redemption, eternal life. Peace in their heart, peace with God, peace from God, joy in the midst of adverse circumstance. They're going to hear about things that they know not of. Because the church is not for the lost. So many churches spend so much time, so much money, do so much research in trying to figure out how to make something that belongs to like-minded believers comfortable for people who are not like-minded with the believers there at this particular church. And they err when they do this. Because friendship with the world is enmity toward God. Don't you ever forget it. Even in the church, we are to go out from this assembly and we are to evangelize the lost. We are to take the light of Jesus Christ from here. Have you ever heard that before? From here and to go out into their darkness and shine that light. Let them see. That though you are flawed and though you in and of yourself are sinful, You have found redemption in Christ because he has revealed himself to you and he has saved you and he has changed you and he's moving and he's living in you. Go out and be light in the darkness. The church is for the believer. And this, of course, here in Acts chapter 2 is the picture of the visible or the local church. We know that there is an invisible or universal church all throughout the world. Those believers in Christ who are hopefully and rightfully meeting in their local assemblies today as the visible church, we'll be talking a lot about the visible church because that's what we're dealing with here. We see that the visible church will be devoted believers, a group devoted to Christ. So if you're going to call yourself a church, if we are going to call ourselves a church as Key Life Fellowship, and I'm thankful that we can because I've been here quite some time now, one of the reasons that I am preaching this series, because I have been here since the beginning. Many of you don't understand that the Lord started this whole work from the dust, and he raised it up from ground zero for his name and for his glory. Many of you do understand that. You have been on that journey. You understand when we talk about this, that that we want a group of like-minded, devoted believers. That is going to be the church. Why? Because those like-minded, devoted believers are the ones who are going to bring glory to Christ and not seek glory for themselves. We have seen God do that work. And let me just say this. I am overflowing this morning with thanksgiving that I get to pastor 
this called out assembly of the saints. This is the dearest place on earth. You are my family. You are my sisters. You are my brothers. You are my friends. And the love that I have for you stems from the common love that we have for Christ. And I know you love me the same because you couldn't love me without Christ. I am the most unlovable person on earth. But I'm thankful that you love me in Christ. I'm thankful that I have been given the privilege to love you in Christ as well. This is a group of devoted believers. We see that there, as it said, they devoted themselves. Always remember, the church is plural. Don't, don't ever buy into this lie. Well, I can worship God just the same on my recliner at home. No, you cannot. It is not participation in a group of like-minded believers. Stop letting the enemy lie to you. As a believer in Christ, watch this. You need the church. You need the church. I remember when I was in Israel, we drove past a date palm grove. The lady who was giving us instructions about what we were seeing while we were over there said, those are date palms. And they don't grow by themselves. They must grow in a grove. They cannot reproduce and they cannot thrive unless they are there with other date palms. You know what a picture that was to me of the church. These folks who think that they can, as individuals, be the church. You cannot. You say, well, I can worship God anywhere I want. Yes, you can. Please do. I wish that all of us would. But we're talking about the collective assembly of the believers. That's what he's talking about here. And here's what they were doing. They were devoted to the Lord, they, plural. We see next, as we look at this text and break it down, not only will they be marked by the fact that they are a group of devoted believers, the church will be marked by, watch this in the, the second part of verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to, let's see what they were devoted to. We know Christ because they were believers, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. A true church. A true church will be marked by biblical truth. There will be a devotion to biblical truth in a true ecclesia. The scriptures will not be a footnote. They will not be ignored. They will be the central theme of everything that is taught and believed in that local body. He says, well, it says nothing here about the Scriptures. No, it says the apostles' teaching. And let me tell you about the apostles. They were consistent with the Scripture. How do I know this? Because the Word Himself, we learned this in John, didn't we? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the Word. They actually received the Word from the Word. And while the Word was here prior to His ascension, after His resurrection, He sat down with all of them and He taught them about Himself in the Scriptures from Moses all the way till that day where He went to the cross. How all of the prophets and all of the Psalms and all of the stories of the Old Testament, even the Exodus, Exodus itself, all pointed to Christ. They received that directly from Him and so they were consistent with biblical truth. In fact, it is the apostles or the close associates of the apostles who've written every single New Testament Scripture that we have in our hand this morning. 
They were devoted to biblical truth, the apostles' teaching. The true church will be devoted to the Word of God, to the teaching of the apostles. In fact, they will be a church marked by that biblical truth. They will be a church that is learning the Holy Scriptures, a church that is devoted to learning the Holy Scriptures. I say thank you to many of you here today. You make what I do a joy. Because I have seen God raise up a group of people who are devoted to learning the Scriptures. I love to see when we dismiss our early service. I love to see the flow of people who are walking over from Enrich over there where you are learning the Word of God. Because you have tasted and you have seen how good the Lord is through the Scriptures as they have been poured out into your life. Watch this, not by me. I don't have power to teach you anything. It is Christ. In fact, I don't teach in those Bible studies. I don't teach in reach groups any longer. I don't teach in enrich. Why? Because God has raised up a group of men who are gifted to teach the Word of God, and He's continually doing that, and they are pouring themselves out and pouring out the truth of the Word of God so that each of you can continue in this growth process that God has you in. But a true church will be devoted to biblical truth, learning the Holy Scriptures. John Calvin said this, whenever we see the Word of God purely preached and heard, there a church of God exists, even if it swarms with many faults. Oh, he agreed with Spurgeon there, didn't he? And Spurgeon agreeing with him. Even if there's all sorts of faults, a true church is going to teach and to preach the pure Word of God. Oh, and we have seen what happens when we teach and preach the pure Word of God, just as Paul told Timothy to do that. He said, preach it. Why is it important? Because there are doctrines of demons that will cause people to fall away from the truth. The enemy is constantly trying to distort the truth. You go back to the fall of man and watch how he distorted the truth. When Eve said, this is what God said, what did he do? He got her to question the truth that God had already spoken. Is that really what he said? Of course it's what he said. She knew what he said because her husband had told her. But as we look at that and we understand it, we see the importance of standing on biblical truth, learning the Scriptures. In fact, Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, until I come, if I come and I get to visit you, here's what you're going to do while you're there and you're pastoring that church. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Well, I love our public reading of Scripture each Sunday morning. We start the service with the Word of God. Let me give you a, just a brief glimpse into what we will be talking about today in reference to the Scriptures. What a privilege it is to have someone say, stand in the honor of of reading the Word of God. Why? Because we are doing biblically what the church does, devoting themselves to the public reading of Scriptures, just as Paul told young Timothy. Devote yourself to it. There's that word again. To preaching and to teaching. Oh, We, we got to witness all three of those things this morning, the public reading of Scripture, the preaching from the pulpit, those of you who went to enrich Bible study, the teaching of the Scriptures, those children who are down those halls now learning the Word of God, being taught the Scriptures, a church will be a place marked by biblical truth. Oh, what a sad testimony it is today of all of these groups of people who call themselves a church 
who they meet for hours and never crack open the Word of God. Who they talk about every philosophy and every ideology under the sun and never talk about sound doctrine, never talk about the true gospel, never reference one scripture. One of the greatest compliments that I have ever received as a pastor was on a Google review, which I'm thoroughly thankful for. I got rated, I I think if I could have received a zero star, I would have gotten one of those. I think I was a one star, and that's just the kindness of Google, not letting me be a zero. Though I would have written back to Google if I could and say, I am a zero. Thank you for being accurate. And this person had visited the church, and I had preached the Word of God, and I had many Scripture references. And he told me that he was going back to another church and that I was the most boring church he had ever attended. And he's going back to a church because all that pastor did. And he's right. All that pastor knows to do. All that pastor did was use scripture quotes the whole time. And he didn't receive any entertainment. So he was going back and he named the church and I won't. It's not far. He said he was going back to that church so he could have an exciting service. Let me tell you what, there's nothing more exciting to me than seeing the word of God being taught, the word of God being received just a moment ago, the greatest joy in my heart, one of them is when I say open to Acts chapter 2 and I hear the pages of God's Word being turned by God's people. Oh, you notice every week I pause for just a moment just to hear those pages because I've been there. Many of you have been there. Well, they don't even open or crack the Word of God anymore. What a joy it is to see people open the Word of God and begin to flip the pages and to take out their notebooks and begin to take notes. There, there's no greater joy than, than to have someone say, four years ago, you preached a sermon from this text. Do you remember that, Kirk? And i got to be honest and say, I don't remember tomorrow. I mean, yesterday, much less a sermon I preached five years ago. And they'll share with you how that sermon impacted their life. Now, make no mistake, Kirk Hall did not impact their life. Biblical truth impacted their life. Kirk Hall's not even smart enough to remember what he said. He just took the Word of God and he preached it with the authority that the Spirit of God gave him to preach it with, and God did the rest. And the true church will be built on biblical truth. They will learn the Holy Scriptures. They will be devoted to that. They will love the Holy Scriptures. They will be marked by learning the Holy Scriptures. They will be marked by loving the Holy Scriptures. What joy, again, that I have as a pastor to see a group of people who love the Word of God. Many people have asked, well, do you think that people should love the Word of God? Isn't that an idol? Let me help you. No, Christ is the Word. When you love the Scriptures, you are loving Christ. And if you don't love the Scriptures, you don't love Christ. This is how He reveals Himself to you. Love the Scriptures. It's a joy for the most part to have a group of people who love the Word of God. They'll be marked by learning the Holy Scriptures, loving the Holy Scriptures. But watch this. As they love it, they'll crave it. They'll crave it. First Peter chapter 2. He says this in verse 2, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. That spiritual milk comes from the Word of God. Crave it like newborn babies. Some of you are mothers. Some of you may even be nursing your young babies. They are there. 
in that nursery right now, and you know this, that there is a certain time that they think they are going to die if you do not provide for them. And here's the thing. They could if you didn't. But your love for them compels you to do that. God's love for us compelled Him to lead men to write these things down so that we could feed from them and receive the spiritual nourishment we need as believers. True church will be devoted to learning the Holy Scriptures, biblical truth, to loving the Holy Scriptures, biblical truth, craving them. And then thirdly, don't miss this, living out the Holy Scriptures. It's, it's something to know the Word of God, but if you're not living it, you're not getting it. In fact, James says in James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James gives a, a stout warning there because even in the first century, the church had already digressed to some people who were just listening, right? Because some of you right now, you're listening, but you have already tuned me out. You really are not going to take anything that I say and go live it out. That's not the church. What the church is going to do, they're not going to be just mere listeners of the word. They are going to be doers. They are not going to be deceived. Did you see what James says? So deceiving yourselves. You think, some of you, that listening to a sermon once a week with no application in your life is going to do something for you. And it might do something for you. It might give you a little knowledge. But knowledge without application does nothing for the outside world who we are commanded to try to reach. Be doers of the Word, just as Jesus said, to let your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The church will be marked by biblical truth. Learning the Holy Scriptures, loving the Holy Scriptures, living out the Holy Scriptures. It will be a group of called out believers, a group of called out believers who are devoted to learning, loving, and living the Scriptures. That's what we know so far about this church that we're looking at in Acts. Oh, I'm thankful that I get to be a part of a church where I can say these people are devoted to learning. The staff is devoted to learning, to loving, and to living the Word of God. Any organization that is not fed by, governed by, led by, equipped by, empowered by, the Word of God is not a church. They are a civic organization. I don't know what you call them, but they're not a church. It could be a country club. It could be a social group. I don't know, but do not call them a church because the church will be devoted to biblical truth. It's one of her attributes. So we've seen that the church will be marked by a group of devoted believers. The church will be marked by biblical truth. Thirdly, as we move on for the sake of time, the church will be marked by fellowship and communion. I've put these two together, but let's read it together. The Third part of verse 42. Yes, we are still in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the assembly of the called out ones devoted to biblical truth, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, to the fellowship, what he is talking about there, he is talking about a Greek word known as koinonia. And that word means partnership. He's talking about 
the partnership in the church, that we as believers are working together for one cause, and that is the glory of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are working together as partners in that fellowship. And what a privilege it is. Can I say this as your pastor? What a privilege it is to work alongside of each and every one of you. To be partners with you in Christ. We have that bond. You are my brother. You are my sister. What a joy it is to be a part of that fellowship, a part of that family. We edify one another and we encourage one another and we hold one another accountable and we prod one another along in their service to the Lord. In fact, that's very biblical. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is in the context of the church. He says, and let us not give up meeting together. That's where all the people say, I don't want to go back to church. Let us not give up meeting together. Because it is in these meetings that we spur one another along. It is when we, when we edify one another. It is when we encourage one another. When a brother or sister is here in their morning, we put our arms around them and we cry with them on the altar as we pour out our prayers and our thoughts to God. That brother or sister who is here, who's rejoicing, we rejoice with them. We're not jealous in what they're rejoicing in. We rejoice with them. That's the church. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as, as you see the day approaching. The day that he's talking about is the return of Christ. Now, he wrote this some 2,000 years ago. And he said, as the day of Christ is approaching, continue to edify and encourage each other by meeting together as that koinonia fellowship known as the church, the ecclesia. As we see the day of the Lord approaching, we're seeing that even more so now. If they were looking forward to the return of Christ then, we are obviously closer now. So we must join together and not forsake the assembly of the believers so that we can encourage one another and spur one another along and hold one another accountable in Christ. Many forfeit that Christian fellowship. Many are home right now and you have settled. You're listening to me right now on a screen. You have settled for a screen. You say, was there anything wrong with that? No, not if you were homebound or if you were sick or you are bedridden, please attend by a screen. But I say this to all of you who are out there right now, and it's okay, you may click off and we lose your view. We're not here to get views. We're here to make disciples. And I say this to you, come join us. Come join us. Be a part of this fellowship. Don't continue to miss out on it because of your apathy and your laziness because it's easy for you to stay at home. Now again, if you're confined to that place, Please attend however you can. Please call us so that we can pray with you and pray for you. Come by and actually have a face-to-face -face visit with you and get to know you. We must not forsake the assembly of the believers. Why? Because the church is the called-out assembly of God who is devoted to His Word and to fellowshipping with His people. We see that first aspect, fellowship, that partnership, that koinonia. But he also says the breaking of bread. And when he talks about the breaking of bread, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Because it is in the Lord's Supper that we see a picture of our communion with Christ. Because of Christ's crushed body and His shed blood, we now have fellowship with God the Father because of God the Son, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives in us. We have that forever 
communion with the triune God because of what Christ did for us through his sacrifice of atonement. Paul describes that for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he talks about the Lord's Supper. He tells them, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 26, chapter 11. It says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats of and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. He said some of you have died because you have not properly handled communion, the fellowship, and appreciated the fellowship that you have with Christ. He goes on, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So what is the Lord's Supper? What is that? The breaking of bread and why that is that so important? Well, we should remember Christ constantly, shouldn't we? And remember the communion that we have. But with the Lord's Supper, what that does, it creates for us a picture so that we can, in our hearts and in our minds, be triggered to remember exactly what Christ did for us when he bore our sin and bore the wrath of God on the cross. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He offered himself up for us so that we could be forgiven and clean. Then the Lord's Supper, in looking at that, should be the thing that motivates us to holiness, to examine our lives and to say, no, because the Lord died in our place, because his body was crushed under the wrath of God, and because his blood was shed as a sacrifice of atonement in his blood, because of that, I want to rid my life of any sin. And it is in those moments when we remember the Lord and the communion that we have, that he paid for, that we say, whoa, wait a second, Kirk, don't sin. Because when you do sin, what you do is you neglect to recognize the beauty of the communion that Christ paid for you to have. You are saying that you would rather have the old darkness of your sin than to have the communion and fellowship that you have in Christ. Don't dare say that. That's what communion is. That's why the breaking of bread was so important. It was accountability in the church. And who is the church accountable to? Look there in Acts chapter 2 with me. Each other and to Christ. The fellowship and to the breaking of bread. We are accountable to one another, to mutually edify and encourage one another, but we are ultimately accountable to Christ because he is the one who paid for our sins on the cross. He is the one who died to save us. This church was Devoted to that. I'm thankful for a church who understands those things, that when we do approach the Lord's table, we don't approach the Lord's table flippantly or with some haphazard attitude. Everyone who's ever taken communion here, you were taught a lesson from the Scriptures on the importance of communion and why we do what we do and what that symbolizes. And I'm thankful that every time you endure that from me, you have to listen to another sermon on the communion and the Lord's Supper. And I hope that's not the case. You get to, because it reminds us the accountability that we have from the Lord because of what he did for us. And didn't he do enough? Didn't Christ do enough through his sacrifice to motivate us to live holy lives? You see, there will be a church, when you find a true church, that will be marked by fellowship and communion. Fellowship and partnership with one another in Christ. Fellowship and partnership with the Lord, ultimately, through communing with him, which is pictured, as I said best, in the ritual of the Lord's Supper, the sacrament there that we observe. So we move next to the next part and the last part of 42. We've seen that the church 
will be marked by a group of devoted believers. The they were devoted. It will be marked by biblical truth, and it will be marked by fellowship and communion. But fourthly, I want you to see this. It will also be marked by something that we often neglect. They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And to prayer. I'm thankful that just this last week, a brand new member in our church actually sent me a message and said, do you mind if I come up to the church just to pray? I said, just to pray? I'll give you a key. I'll give you the code to the gate. I'll give you the code to the alarm. Lock everything up when you leave. Come up here and pray for the Lord's will that it be done. Pray that God continue to do what only God can do here. Pray that God continue to get me or any staff member, any personality or any causer of division out of the way. Yes, come up here anytime you want and pray. What a joy it was as a pastor to have a brand new member ask me, can I just come up there and pray? Yes, but you cannot call it just praying anymore. Please come. Please come and petition the throne of God on our behalf, and on behalf of the body of believers that meet here. Please, every time you get a chance, do that. Why? Because the church should be devoted to prayer. What a sta- sad statistic that would be if we were to ask, how many of you have prayed today or yesterday or this week? I'm not talking about going to God when you needed something. I'm talking about true biblical prayer where you begin with our Father who art in heaven. He's the focus. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm talking about true prayer as Jesus taught prayer. Our church will be devoted to that. Why? Because prayer displays something, doesn't it? Prayer displays a dependency upon God. Don't dare say that you are depending upon God if you are not depending upon God on your knees. You're not depending upon God. You are depending upon you. You're hoping that God helps you. Here's the thing. God is not your helper. Jesus Christ is not your co-pilot. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Take the bumper sticker off your car. He is above all things. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Here's the thing. You are a slave and a servant to him. And what a joy it is that you get to do this. Approach him as such. Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, I know that you have me in the palm of your hand, and my life is is, is secure in you. I rest in you. Lead me into your will. Lead me away from temptation. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Oh, they had a devotion to prayer, dependency upon God. I'm thankful that there are those in this church who pray. None of you ever send me emails and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Please don't. Just pray. Because I'm glad I don't get emails that say, hey, I'm praying for you, because then I have to wonder, are they just saying that to look spiritual? But when you do as Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and pray. And what you pray in secret, I will reward openly. Oh, do you think that this church is what it is because no one has ever prayed for this church? Do you think what that this church is what it is because only Kirk Hall has prayed for this church? Absolutely not. Do you think that I can get up here week after week after week and do what I do without the strength of God that comes because the saints of God get on their knees and pray for me daily and weekly? I say this to you. Thank you so much. I sense your prayers. 
I know that you are petitioning God on my behalf, and I am thankful for that. Keep doing what you're doing. I, it bothers me when, when an elderly person will come to me and, and they'll walk up, sometimes even on a walker or a cane, and they'll say this, I can't do much, but I just want to pray. Oh, when you pray, when you pray, you shake the foundations of the earth by the power of God. Don't think that you don't do anything. I get what you're saying. You're saying I can't go out and evangelize because I can't walk and I, and I can't maybe serve others the way that I would want to or maybe the way that you did when you were younger. Dear brother and sister in Christ, saint of God, listen to me. Your prayers are coveted by me and by the staff of this church and by the other members of this church. We are thankful that you pray for us when the Lord prompts you to pray for us. Please keep praying. Because a true church is going to pray. Those individuals will be praying. Members who pray just as Scripture commands. Scripture commands it. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6, many of you know the armor of God, but you forget the most important part, verse 18 where he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. You can put on all the armor of God you want, but you miss verse 18, you're in big trouble. Because you've put on the armor of God only to depend upon yourself. Put on the armor of God to depend on the Lord. It says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I'm thankful for the people who pray for all the saints. They pray for the saints here at Key Life Fellowship. They pray for the saints who are missionaries, are reaching with the gospel and teaching of the word of God throughout the world. They are praying for the saints everywhere. Thank you so much for those prayers. You are being obedient to the scripture. The scriptures that tell us to pray. Don't forget to pray. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 17, Paul says pray continually. Many of you learned this in, in Sunday school when you were a kid. Pray without ceasing. Well, the church will be a group of people who pray without ceasing. Who pray without ceasing. What, what, why is that so important? It is dependency upon God. I love to be a part of a fellowship that depends upon God, that lives their lives for the will of God and the glory of God. We see individual prayer there in the church, but we also see corporate prayer in the church where we pray together. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verse 14 is the... First picture that we see of corporate prayer in the early church, and it says this, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They let women and children even get involved in the prayer. That was a joke. And I'm the only one who got it. Therefore, it's not a joke, because it wasn't funny. No, we joined together and we prayed together. All right, now, there are teachers in our children's department. You know what they're doing? They probably had snack not too long ago. Probably need another one by the time I'm done. They got ready to have snack after they had their lesson. And what did they do? Those teachers are teaching them to pray. Why? Because we depend on God and we thank God in every situation. And they bowed their head. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't pray some elaborate prayer. They said, thank you, Jesus, for this food. We love you and we thank you that we're loved by you. Bless it now. In Jesus' name, amen. They don't have to get fancy in their prayers. They just have to depend on God in their prayers. We do that corporately. We do that in our services when we come together and we pray together. Just a moment, you have an opportunity to pray for one another. Please do. Never hesitate. When God prompts you to go grab that person, you know they're going through a hard time. How many times have you left a service where you beat yourself up all the way home because you know somebody was going through a hard time and you know you should have went and grabbed them and, and prayed with them right there in the assembly of the believers and you didn't do it and you were disobedient and your whole week is ruined because of that? 
No, be obedient. Grab that person. Say, man, I know, I know you lost your job. I've been there before too. But you know what I learned in that process? That God is faithful to his children. He's going to take care of you. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to approach the throne together and we're going to pray for one another. And you right there, stop what you're doing. People, people look at me crazy. They'll come to me and they'll say, hey, when you're thinking about it this week, will you pray for my aunt? She's going through surgery. Her name is Betsy. I stop right there. And I pray for Betsy. Why? That's what we do as a church. I don't want to get busy with my week and never think about Betsy again. I want to stop right there. Why? I have a brother. I have a sister who has a need. They have a burden. They come and they say, hey, will you pray for my uncle? He's lost and, and he's on his way to hell. Will you pray for his soul? You bet. We'll pray right now. We'll pray as long as you think we need to pray. Why do you think we have a basket full of names up here of lost people who we don't even know, but we find ourselves taking those people and praying for them by name? Why? Because God has commissioned us and commanded us to pray. Because when we do that, we are depending on him for the soul of that loved one. And he is faithful to his self. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of the fact that God is faithful unto himself. It is his nature. And when we pray, we trust that. When we pray individually as a church and corporately as a church, the church will be a place devoted to prayer. And lastly, and this is part one, you get the second part, maybe all of it next week. We actually get to verse 43 today, but we won't be there long. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Watch what it says next. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Note that it was the apostles performing the signs and the wonders. That's to help us know that when these self-proclaimed apostles of our days claim to do miracles, that's a hoax. They let us know there that it was the apostles and their close associates, and that's it. Wasn't any just church member out there declaring themselves an apostle. They had to meet criteria, which is defined in the book of Acts, and they received authority and power directly from Jesus to do what they did and to confirm their ministry. Why? Because the Jews demanded a sign. They were given that sign through the power that the apostles had inherited and been gifted from Christ. But as they watched this, they were in awe. Now let me just tell you this. They were not in awe of the apostles. The apostles would not have allowed that to happen. Can you imagine Peter after all the lessons that he had learned about trying to do things on his own? taking credit for the wonders and the power that was being displayed in him because of the miracles that the Lord had allowed him to do. No, they were pointing all of it to God, pointing all of it with thanksgiving to Christ. And so these people were in awe of God. That brings us to the last thing that we're going to look at today. The church will be marked by reverence for God. Reverence for God. They were in awe. That's a Greek word, phobos. Phobos, it's where we get our word phobia. It is reverent fear. They were in reverent fear of the Lord, especially if you're familiar with Acts when Ananias and Sapphira pulled what they pulled. <laughs> but they were in reverent fear of the Lord, and a church that is truly a church will be in reverence to God, a reverent, healthy fear. What does that mean? We are awed by God's presence, awed by His presence. 
Not awed by the size of the cathedral that we meet in. Not awed by the programs that we offer. Not awed by the various ministries and the things that are done in the name of Christ. But awed by the presence of God that is displayed through the indwelling Holy Spirit in the lives of every single individual believer who is the temple of Christ. When we come together, we ought to be in awe. I look forward every Sunday to what God is going to do. We cannot approach that flippantly as if we deserve it. We get on our face and we say, God, whatever it is that you grace us with, we will be in awe of you. I'm afraid that many people who share the theological bend that I share, who are reformed in their theology, are so afraid of charismatic doctrine that they just won't stand in awe of the power of God for fear that someone might call them a charismatic. And I say this to all of my reformed friends, stand in the power in, in awe of the power of God and don't let anyone talk you out of thinking that he is not still a miracle-working, powerful God. Does he do miracles in a different fashion than he did in the early church? Absolutely. But does he still do miracles? Yes, that's commonplace for God. That's the language that he speaks. That's the language that you don't know. He does miracles constantly. You don't believe me? We've got enough new mothers and fathers in this congregation. Aren't they little miracles? You see them for the very first time, and you meet that child eye to eye. And you know that for nine months they were under some type of fluid. That if you were to put them back in that fluid after their birth, they would drown immediately. But the Lord preserved them, and He crafted them in their mother's womb according to His will and His plan, and they immediately come into this earth, and you look eye to eye at a miracle that came from God. Oh, be in awe of that. Stand in awe of that. Oh, when you hear the children being a little loud up there, don't get upset about that. People have asked me before, did that bother you when they got so loud in, the, in kids' church during the service? No, I've been in lots of churches. They wish they had kids. Well, I'm thankful that they're up there as loud as they can, unashamedly praising God, standing in awe of Him with childlike faith, believing that the same God who they serve is the God that they just learned about who parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could pass over and then closed it up on the Egyptians. And they're rejoicing in that. Why? Because it's real to them. And they fear God. They revere Him and they are standing there in awe. Oh, let them continue to be in awe. We should be blown away that the God of heaven and earth would ever dwell in us and among us. Well, you think about that for a second. Kirk Hall, the worst of sinners, you're looking at him. There was a time in my life where I was cut off from God. I was alienated from God. Why? Because I was wicked. I was a sinner separated from the goodness of God. Why? Because he's holy. I cannot approach him. Only living my life under the wrath of God. But because of Christ and what He did for the cross, at, at the cross for me, by standing in my place and sacrificing Himself so that I didn't have to die to pay for my own sin, He paid for my sin in my place. Now watch this. It gets better. He dies for my sin. He then gives me and imputes to me His righteousness. 
That means I stand before God declared His righteous Son. And then He sends His Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of me constantly. Constantly. Oh, you ought to be in awe of that, that a sinner who was destined for hell now is the temple of the living God. Only God can do such miracles. Only God can do such things. May we be awed by His presence in our life and His presence in our congregation. Awed by His presence and awed next by His power. As we look at reverence for God, you ought to be awed by His power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk or a kingdom of talk, but of power. Oh, where is the power in these so-called churches? Where is the power that changes lives? Where is the power, the gospel power that saves the wretched soul? Where is the power of God in the so-called churches in America? It's all but absent. We have a talk at a coffee shop. We don't have a sermon. It's not powerful because it's not spirit-empowered. A church will be in awe of the power of God. They will see the evidence of the power of God. His power to do miracles. Many of you have experienced that in your life. You have seen God do miracles in your life. He has brought you through struggles and trials and pain and heartache and sickness. Many of you have been diagnosed with some terminal disease only to have God heal you. Be in awe of that. He didn't have to do a single thing for us. But He does those things. He does those things through His church. Many of you have seen the power of God saving the lost, wretched sinner. Well, the greatest miracle of all. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do something, and I don't ask you to do this to embarrass anyone. And I'm going to encourage you not to be ashamed of this when I ask you to do this, but many of you here will, will be of this group that I'm going to ask to do this. If you're here and you have been saved and baptized in this church, the Lord has done a work in your life. Would you give a testimony of the power of God now by just standing up right there where you sit? You have been saved since Key Life Fellowship began. Just stand. There's no reason to be ashamed. Will you look around you? You see miracle after miracle after miracle. Many of you, you say, man, people don't even know who I am anymore because there's such a difference in my life. There's such a difference in my family. There's such a difference in my marriage. My wife looks at me. She doesn't even know who I am anymore. My husband looks at me. He doesn't know who I am anymore. My children say, what has gotten into you? And the only answer you can say is the power of God through Christ Jesus. Somebody give him praise this morning. I don't get you to do this to embarrass you. I get you to do this so that we can stand in awe of God. Look around you, church. There are others here who have been saved in other places, and I'm thankful that there are other places who preach the gospel. I pray that they continue to do that. But as you're being seated, I can attest to this. I stand in awe of the miracle of salvation week after week after week after glorious week. 
After every baptism service I leave here, you can ask my wife because I don't get to talk about a whole lot of things because there's so many people around. And I get in my car and I say, I'm so overwhelmed right now. And I can't even talk. And all I can do is cry. And she says, do you want me to drive? And I say, absolutely not. It's not that bad. (laughs) You know when it's bad if you see Brandy driving. It's bad, bad. We're going to the emergency room. But to be able week after week to be a part of a body of believers and to be awed by God's power to do the unthinkable to save the most wretched lost sinner. Oh, I'm so thankful for that miracle in my life. Because I can tell you this. Had Jesus not performed a miracle in my life, I would have busted hell wide open. I was the prime candidate for it. But I'm thankful In an eternity past, he loved me with a love that I can't even comprehend. And he did everything possible to arrange my life that on that one certain day, because there are no coincidences, are there? On that one certain day, I sat in that church service and that preacher preached the love of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I was a sinner and I was in need of a Savior. And he opened my eyes to see the truth that day. And a miracle happened to me because I can tell you this, I'm not the same person that I once was. And everybody who knows that would say amen. It was the power of God to do the incomprehensible. He's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Be awed by that. Stand in reverence to that, reverence to his power, his presence, but also his provision. The fact that he continues to supply not only salvation to those in need, he supplies all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's what Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 tells us. All that we need. According to his riches in Christ. If you're in Christ, all that you need has already been supplied. So we see, as we have begun this, the first part, the church, the true church has some attributes that they will be marked by and that will be displayed in them. They will be a group of devoted believers devoted to Christ, to his kingdom. They will be devoted to his word and biblical truth. They will be marked by fellowship and communion with the Lord, and they will be marked by prayer, and they will be marked by reverence for God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, and I'll close. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, do you know what the church is? It's a down payment on the kingdom that cannot be shaken, and we are, shaken, and we are receiving that right now. Right now, the dearest place on earth, right here, among the fellowship of the saints. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Why did he throw the consuming fire in there? Let that be our prayer today. Lord, consume us to the point that we stand in awe of you. Everything that is not of us, consume us with your fire. Everything that is of you, ignite that fire in us so that we bring you glory and honor and praise with our life and that we bring others to know you as Lord and Savior. Do you bear these attributes? Do you bear these marks? Are you part part of his church? Are you His? Have you surrendered to Christ as Lord and Savior? If you have not, if you've never surrendered to Christ who died on a cross for you so that you could be saved and forgiven of all of your sin, 
And today that message rings true in your heart because God has opened your eyes to see that truth. If you've not yet repented of your sin and turned to Christ, I would implore you, ma'am, sir, turn to Christ in faith and repentance today and be saved. The Bible is very clear. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, his name is Jesus, and he is Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved today. Would you call on Christ to save you? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your church because she's yours. She belongs to you. You purchased her by your blood. Never let us forget that. Lord, we thank you for your word and how you have preserved for us what a true church should look like. God, I pray that we would be obedient in every area of this as the leadership of this church, as the servants in this church, as each individual in this church, that we would strive. Lord, know that we will be imperfect in that, as we well know, but that we would strive to be and to do exactly what your word teaches us about your church. And that in your church, you would receive glory and honor and praise and that others would come to know Christ through the impact of the body to which you are the head. Thank you for letting us be a part of the dearest place on earth. We know that it comes at no small price, but it came with your precious blood being shed for us. We stand in awe of you this morning praying for those who do not yet know Christ, that you would reveal yourself to them now, and that they would be saved and forgiven and granted eternal life in Christ. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness. Thank you.